0: Well, good morning folks, shaking out some of the cobwebs from an early morning, some of you, Uh, but it's 11, 12 now, so I I want this gospel to enthuse us again, I know what it's like, sometimes you kind of look at yourself in the mirror and go, oh man, I'm weary, but you know, I want this beautiful news of Jesus to explode in our hearts again. Not just for this morning, but somehow this would be the platform that we live from. Um, how rude, I've not even introduced myself. My name's Sam, I'm part of this church community and it's a privilege to speak to you this morning. We're, As Phil said, we're in a, in a series, this is like message two in the series, the gospel and carrying faith for salvations. And our heart is that actually Jesus would be revealed to some this morning. Maybe for the first time, maybe you've, you've never actually given your heart and your life over to Jesus. Can I tell you, I did this 16 years ago, changed my life upside down. And for those that do know Jesus, our prayers that actually this joy, this salvation will be restored to you. The joy of his salvation. Today, the message title is In Christ Alone. Last time, we looked at what is the gospel? What actually... Is the gospel. This week we're going to go a little bit deeper and look at actually, we receive it through Christ alone. But to set it in context, we're going to watch a a short video clip from a group called the Bible Project. So let's watch this and I'll jump up and share after we watch this. Great, they cover a lot of ground in six minutes, but I wanted to set it in the context of God's timeless story. From right right at the start, this sacrifice was in God's heart that actually he could not deal with sin, could not leave sin unpunished. And he did something about it ultimately in the person of his son, Jesus. God himself put on skin and came as a ransom, as a sacrifice for us. So that's where we're going to kind of foundation everything. That's where we're going to base ourselves from as we look this morning at Christ alone. So last time we looked at how he was our ransom. He, we got a redemption. We looked again atonement, but it's all through Christ, Christ alone. So I want to start by reading us some scripture. You know, sometimes we can we can kind of feel like I've got to convince you with my my many words. Thank God I don't have to do that. Like God will convince you through His holy word. This this book here is living and active says that it's sharp, it will cut right to the heart. So as I speak the word of God, as I speak from the scriptures, my prayer is that sometime, somehow your heart just becomes illuminated and you think, man, this is true. So let's go on a bit of a journey. Romans 3, um, the verses are going to come up on the screen behind me. Romans 3, verse 23 and 25. I'm only going to read the first part of verse 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's great news. And all are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. Let's move on. Colossians 1, 19 and 22. For in him, that is Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him... That is Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether in, on earth or in heaven, making peace. That's what's happened to me. That's what's happened to us. We've received peace by the blood of his cross. And you, you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled you through his body of flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. That's pretty cool. Hebrews nine twelve, he entered. This is Jesus. Saw the picture of those priests in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, in the temple. But Jesus, he entered into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Hebrews 10, 11 and 12, and every priest stands daily, offering his sacrifice, offering this repeated sacrifice time and time again, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time one single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. And then Colossians two thirteen and 15. This is the Phillips translation. I looked at many translations and I landed on this one thinking... Just listen. He has forgiven all of your sins. Man, it's amazing. Christ has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of all the broken laws and commandments which always hung over our heads and he has completely annulled it by nailing it over his own head at the cross. And then having drawn all the sting, he's Extinguished all the raging sting of every power that stood against us. He exposed them, shattered, empty, and defeated in this one final, glorious, triumphant act. Bingo. That's it. This one final, glorious, triumphant act has won for you eternal redemption. It's done. Christ alone. I heard this incredible gospel equation just a few weeks ago that said, this guy said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And it it stopped me in my tracks. I was like, that's cool. Jesus plus nothing actually equals everything. So that's where I'm going to pitch it this morning. It might be controversial to some. As we go on this journey, it will become clear what I'm talking about. But I want you to know that it's, it's Christ alone. It's through him alone, faith in him alone. And he offers his life to anyone that would accept it. I don't know whether I need to be any clearer than that. He offers his very life to anyone that would accept it. And even me. I remember a phone call a few years ago when we were in Hastings, me and my family were in Hastings, so was phoning a lady that had visited the church, just wanted to connect with her afterwards and just see how she found her time. And she said to me, I I really loved, I really enjoyed our time with you, but if I could just give you some feedback. I was like, oh no. And she said, you did talk about Jesus a lot. I wonder whether there's other things you could focus on, seeing as there's all sorts of other aspects of life. And I thought to myself, that is the best feedback one could ever receive. Thank you so much. We're gonna keep talking about him. I said that, I said, listen, I want you to know that we are gonna keep talking about Jesus. And I jest in my heart, you feel like saying, Can you stick that on TripAdvisor? If people do trip advisor for churches. But Jesus is a big deal. Jesus is the biggest of big deals. The reason why we're here is because of Jesus. That's what we're camped around. He's like the campfire. We're sat around warming our little souls up, saying, Jesus, you've transformed our lives. That's why we're here. He's not only a big deal. He's the only way to salvation. He's not a way. Let me be clear. He's not a way. He's the way. The way. Let me show you why we want to hear at Vine Life talk about Jesus a lot as well. Colossians 1:15 and 17 says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That's a big deal. Now, if you want to know what God is like, if you're here for the first time, maybe just exploring faith, Like, what are you guys talking like? If you want to know what God is like, you look no further than the person of Jesus. Hebrews says that Jesus is the exact representation of God on the earth. Exact imprint, the stamp of God. So, when I want to know what God, this one we've been singing about, and like, wasn't worship just beautiful this morning? Like this one we're singing, if, if all these rocks will sing, so will I. This, this incredible God, we want to know what He's like. He's the one that also hung upon that cross, cried out, Father, forgive them. He's the one that stood with a despised woman in shame. And called her friend. He's, he's the same one that pulled a dead girl from death itself back into life. He's the same one that recognised Zacchaeus up the tree and said, I'm coming to your house for dinner. He's the same one that the Pharisee said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's our king, right? He's the same one that just gathers the despised and the rejected and the lost and the broken into one family. That's what our God is like. And he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or powers or rule, all things were created through him and for him. Oh, and he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. This lump of flesh that you're looking at right now, is only held together because Jesus says so. The only reason why I'm breathing, the only reason why I'm actually currently living is because he says so, because he holds all things together. The only reason why we haven't been burnt up in the cosmos is because he, he knew exactly where to place the sun. He's a big deal and he is the only way. And I've got some good news for you this morning, friends. You didn't save yourself. That should be really good news. Like, because there's nothing in and of yourself that could have done that. Like, look at us. Genuinely, look at us. Like, what could have saved me? How could I have saved myself? I could barely live 16 years ago. He saved us. Jesus saved us. He's the only way. Christ alone. So our salvation wasn't earned, deserved, merited. So that gives me real hope because it means, hang on a minute, I didn't earn it, I didn't act, I didn't perform to receive it. So sure as eggs don't need to perform to keep it. That's great news. Man, we didn't perform for it, grace sealed it for us. Ephesians says it is by grace that we've been saved. Understand this, this word grace, it is scandalous, like really scandalous. I heard one, one guy say, it actually spells out what God's done, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's exactly what it is. Like last time I spoke, I said, until we understand the horror, we're never going to grasp the glory. Like until you can genuinely see the horror of your own heart without judging others, you're never going to see the glory of his heart being pushed into you. Christ alone, all through his finished work, his death and his resurrection. His life, he came to model a whole new life to us on the earth. Do you know Charles Spurgeon, who was known as the Prince of Preachers, from our own dear nation, he says, my entire theology can be condensed down to four words, Christ died for me. Man, we, I've got all sorts of theological books on all sorts of commentaries, but do you know, in a simple form, our entire theology can be boiled down to four words. Christ died for me. And Christ died for you. And he rose again to give you brand new resurrected life. Um. Martin Luther, a German monk that was responsible really for this reformation, the the Christianity that here in the West we enjoy, he was a catalyst for this. His faith had gone cold. He actually hated God. But then he began to read the word again and he saw this one phrase, the just shall live by faith. This is 500 years ago this year. And something in his heart exploded. Hang on a minute. So we don't earn this? No, no. We're justified by faith. And then he began to say, it's Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone. And he nailed this to a church door. And we're enjoying it today. This guy, Martin Luther, said, I preach the gospel to myself every day because I forget it every day. How true is that? I said earlier in the first service, man, I tend to forget it every 10 seconds. If I'm honest, we need to preach this beautiful gospel to ourselves every single day because we're never going to grasp the freedom and the grace that we've received. It is scandalous. He's been so kind. So I want to look at myself in a mirror, the whites of my own eyes, and I want to say, "San, Jesus died for you. All of your mess, all of the horror, all of that weed that wrapped around my heart, all of that shame, he took it upon himself. And it was nailed at the cross through that triumphant act. He was buried, son, and he rose again. I want to look at myself and in the, in the mirror and whatever I face, say, Jesus is alive and he's living in me. And his resurrected, powerful life is now doing something in my mortal body. It's bringing new life to me. And I want to say I'm free. That's what you've got to say, French. Every day, you're free. Even though you might feel bound, the truth is you're free. Through Christ alone. So that's the controversial one point I had, really. Christ alone. What, there's other ways? No. No other way. No other way. Jesus himself said in John's Gospel, John 14, 6, he said, I am the way. He was telling them, he's going, where are you going? I, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to God. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now in very simple reading of this, you don't look at this and go, I'm not sure what Jesus is saying here. I think it's pretty clear. He's the only way. In John 10, 9, he says, I am the door. One translation says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will come in and out and enjoy pasture. The apostles picked the same thought up in in Acts 4, 12, I think it is. Peter and John, filled of the Holy Spirit, are walking in... And, and walking into the temple, walking into this place, and they see this, this crippled beggar, this beggar crippled at birth, it says, and, and he's calling out for arms, give me something, please, I need help. And they say, silver and gold we don't have, but in the name of Jesus, walk. Christ alone does that. They pull him back to health. And then he's, they're questioned, by what authority are you doing this? was Jesus, the one that we crucified... And then they say in Acts 4, 12, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Do you know the Sermon on the Mount is considered some of the greatest teaching that's ever fallen from human lips that Jesus taught. And our, our society is built on it, right? It really is. If you look at it, Matthew 5 to 7, look at it. You think, that's how we live. This is good morals to live by. Jesus talks about two gates, two roads, two paths, two gates. And he's particularly talking about, this is in chapter 7, he's particularly referring to judging. Don't judge. You know the speck and dirt? You know that, that part where he says, before you notice the speck, pull out the whacking great plank out of your own eye before you judge people. Then he says there's two roads. One is broad, and many go on that road and judge, and it will lead to destruction. But narrow is this other one that leads to life. Now, I think there's a wider context here, personally. I think there are two roads that we we think about. One is wide and long and attractive, full of lights, Las Vegas style. And the world says, hey, do you know what? If there is a God, you make him what you want him to be, or her, or it. As long as you're happy, healthy, you don't hurt anyone, get on that big road because that highway will lead you home. That's what the world says. You make God exactly what you want him to be. And any road leads to God. My friend used to say to me, yeah, I agree, every road leads to God. But it's what you do when you get to him. But then the Christian faith presents one narrow road, not wide, broad, but one narrow, seemingly twisted, confusing, foolish road. The Bible says it's what I'm saying today is foolishness to those that are perishing, but for those that have ears, those that have eyes and hearts that are open, it's eternal life to you. There's this one narrow gate, and it's Jesus. He's the only way. I know it's not the sexiest of messages, right? But he is the only way. I'm trying to look at the whites of many of your eyes. He's the only way. don't know why I'm leaning on that. He's the only way. I just want you to think for a moment, what does that mean for you? Friend, what does that mean for you? The Apostle Paul reminded the Galatian church, no add-ons, no extras, you don't max this thing up, you don't do anything else. He wrote to the Galatian church, modern day Turkey for us today. They'd received this gospel of grace by faith, knowing it was Christ alone. But then it looks like all sorts of other things were creeping into the church. Circumcision, other Jewish rituals, other things that they'd done, other other actually mystic ideas, all sorts of add-ons. And Paul is saying, Guys, what on earth are you doing? Paraphrasing. Chapter 3, Galatians 3, starts this chapter by saying, Oh, foolish Galatians, who on earth has bewitched you? One translation says, Oh, idiotic Galatians. I don't think he's saying it like that. Another translation says, You idiots, what are you doing? What are you doing to the gospel of grace? Why are you adding to it? Why are we adding to it? He's fighting against this false gospel that was trying to replace the gospel of grace. You know, anything that adds to Jesus is no gospel. It just isn't a gospel. Jesus plus you just is a horrible gospel. You know, Jesus plus me just isn't good news, right? Jesus plus me and my effort and my regulations and my duty and my hard graft, oh, that's not good news. That's horrible news. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Paul says to them, do you know if righteousness was by what you do, then Jesus died for nothing. He was killed for nothing. But he says, no, 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 in chapter five, it was for freedom. Freedom that Christ set you free. Stand firm then in this gospel and don't fall back into slavery. And the slavery is talking about is that it's me plus works equals salvation. It's not a gospel. It's Jesus plus nothing equals eternal life. Go ahead and enjoy that. Just for a few moments, just enjoy it. It's never going to be taken from you. You know, religion says you do. Grace says it's done. It's all done. And Jesus at the cross, his last word, so we believe, it is finished. What did he have to take on himself to be able to cry out, Father, it's done. It's all extinguished. It's all dealt with. It is finished. I want to speak that over you this morning, friend. If you're carrying guilt, it's finished. If you're carrying shame and blame in Jesus, it is finished. If you're carrying worry, it's finished. If you're carrying doubt and the fear of the unknown, it's finished. Christ alone. Christ alone. He is your freedom. He is your life. He's your light. He'll lead and guide you. Everything orbits around him. We're going to break bread in just a few moments. I've got a few more things just to say for a moment because I want us to understand this is where the gospel leads us to. The Bible talks about us being born again. Mention it probably on the first message, but I really want to major on it just briefly. What's happened to me, to you, to those that have received Christ, you've not just been given a better moral code, you've been recreated. That's what being born again means, you've been completely recreated, a brand new you. In John's Gospel, John 3, Jesus is talking to a guy called Nicodemus. You might know the story. So John 3, it'll come up behind me, thanks Hazel. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God, for no one else can do these kind of things unless God were with him. He saw there was something unique about Jesus. Jesus answered him, truly, truly. Now, we've got to understand, as soon as you see truly, truly, it's not like there was a grammatical error in the Scriptures. Now, what God is wanting everyone to know right now, is like, okay, I'm listening. Like, we need to zone in and listen, because this is a major point. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, or born from above born from on high he cannot see the kingdom of god nicodemus said to him how jesus hang on how can a man that is old be born again can he enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born it's sarcasm i think you know effectively i think jesus going this is disgusting this guy to jesus i'm i'm an adult six i don't know how tall he was so I go back into my mother's womb. This is weird. Jesus is saying, no, no, you haven't even got ears to hear this, effectively. He's saying spirit gives birth to spirit. You must be born again, born from on high. And then the very famous verse that we understand from John's gospel, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, Nicodemus. Nicodemus, have ears to hear, have eyes that are open have a heart that's receptive. So friends, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but so that the world would be saved through him. There's the gospel, friends. That's it. God loves you. He sent his son. He came himself to rescue you. And whoever would turn to him will receive his life. Whoever. And this is all through Christ alone. And one of the ways we remember it's Christ alone is by taking communion. So this next part of the message is all about, I want, to, I want us to grasp again what communion looks like, what it, what it means, the Lord's Supper, breaking bread. Some of you might go, I don't even know what that is, so let me, let me put it in context. This is a beautiful, precious meal that we do together as we remember Christ alone, him alone. Let me give you some scripture. Jesus at the Passover, this is a Jewish festival. As they remember the Passover, That death passed over them as they painted blood on their doorframes. Some of you might know the story. Painted, it's an exodus, painted blood on the door frames. So when the spirit of death came over, it passed over them and they were rescued. This is such a graphic picture of Jesus. He was pinned to a wooden cross, his blood painted on the cross so that death would pass over. So we pass through death into eternal life. So Jesus is having this meal, the Passover, as they're celebrating. And you can picture them. He, then he flips it on his head. He says, takes this bread. It says, now that when they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body. You can imagine them. What, what on earth? It's symbolic of this is what's about to happen. And then he took a cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them saying, this wine, drink it. It's my blood. It's the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I'm not going to drink of this vine again until we do it together in my Father's kingdom. So there's two aspects, two encouragements, two commands actually for us as Christians. The only things that we do, baptism and the Lord's Supper. We do all sorts of other things. We live, right? But baptism and the Lord's Supper, because both are precious uh, pictures of identification. Baptism shows what's happened to us and communion shows the means by how it happened. You understand that? Baptism shows, man, I've gone from death to life and communion as we take the bread, as we drink the juice that represents his blood, we're saying the reason why I've gone from death to life is because his body broken and his blood shed. It's precious. Christians everywhere, right across the world, down through the ages, do this. Regardless of tradition, uh, expression, uh, flavor, one thing that unites us all is Christ alone. So we. When we take communion, we're joining with thousands, millions of people, and we're saying, wherever other sons and daughters of God do this, we're doing that as one family. We're remembering his body broken and his blood shed for us. And I want you to see that communion is a victory meal. We don't go, oh, we're like, man, you've done it. Victory. And I'm doing this until you return. And I'm going to do this until you return. I'm going to do this until you return because one day we don't need to do it anymore because we'll be with him in glory. But until he returns. So we take this bread and wine, friends, with three aspects. Past, Jesus, you set me free. There was a moment in time where you set me free. So I take this remembering my past dealt with and your grace was sufficient. Present, present. The same power that set me free is at work right now and it's setting me free. Understand? That same power is setting you free. You're continuing to remember him. His blood, his body, his power, now alive within me. And then future, Jesus, thanks that you're coming back for me. So I take this bread and I drink this wine and I remember my king is coming back on a powerful white horse and he's taking me home. That's how we do it. I want to invite Andy um, and John back up to join me. And we're going we're to take communion together, guys. Um, we do this every month as a church family. So next time we do it, when we do it at the start of worship or however we do it, hopefully I've set something in your heart that you go, Christ did this. Christ alone has done this. And every time you take communion now, you remember him. Can I encourage you to do it as families together? Not only today, but every when you have a meal at home, remember him. When you have your city group, remember him. When you just meet in the coffee houses, remember him. Whenever we come together, this is a meal that we go, man, love is right at the heart of this. So this love is going to unite us as well.